welcome to the show, Punch Kick Choke Chat. Uh, you might notice one of our regular colleagues, Sean Benson, is not here. And Sean is an actor and he's off doing acting things. And so tonight I get to do the introductions and I'm going to introduce first Census Reno, who is the EIDO instructor of Legacy Shiranuru and also at the Japanese Martial Arts Center. He's an eighth dan in that martial art, also a sixth dan in judo, also high ranking in karate and jujitsu, uh, physical fitness uh, enthusiast, other things you might not know about him. He's a lawyer. He's a multiple time author. Uh, he's a fire, firearms enthusiast. And everything he does, he does well. And that mm -hmm. is Uh And also we have uh, Stefan Fournier, who he's just hanging out on the screen tonight, but we're super happy to have him here because Sensei Legacy is out in British Columbia today, uh, actually this week, teaching out there at our BC schools. Sensei Legacy is a 10th degree black belt and Legacy Shiranru and Matsumura Hakusuru. He's been leading Legacy Shiranru in this style since 1971. His teachers uh, were people, Harold Warden, uh, Benny Allen and Richard Kim, who are now uh, passed on and currently Anthony Sandoval. And yeah, that's my introduction. I guess the one thing Benson always says that I'll say is you're listening to some adults talk about different topics. Uh, we might use colorful language and we might have opinions that differ from yours. Um, we don't really care if your opinions <laughs> differ from ours and we don't really care Benson would say, if you don't like the language we use, you can go suck a bag of dicks, right? So we'll just keep Benson in here a little bit. That's something that he would say. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would say something more aggressive than that, but that's just me. Uh, Sestino, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Um, maybe you need to be introduced too. Yeah. Uh, you fellows on the screen and ladies know uh, Sensei Randy Dauphin, who is a seventh dom in Shorin Rukarate and a fourth Don in Iaido, a certified badass international martial arts champion of many varieties, and uh, recently has uh, started to pursue a little bit of grappling, and uh, we're going to see each other starting at 6 a.m. on Saturday morning, and sometime between 6 a.m. on Saturday morning and 6 p.m., there will be some grappling, and so it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. I am looking forward to um, receiving many techniques and working for position. These are going to be my goals. <laughs> <laughs> Although Robbie, who's not on the, you can't see him. Uh, today, he and I were in our lunchtime BJJ class and uh, there were some submissions happening between the two of us. I'll let him explain it to you later. <laughs> so that's a legacy. How are you doing tonight out in British Columbia? Uh, things are great. It's so nice out here. So hot, 35 to 40 degrees. It's but uh, being in the mountains by the water with people, all you know, you've been out here many times. People always treat you great here, so you feel a bit special. They make you feel that way. It's nice, but serious. The guys are like so many thousand miles away from us, and we went out and did the white crane cutters with. Uh, John Kittleberger from Ontario and with um, Nick McLaren, who is our uh, seventh Dan Udancha out here. Uh, we went out and did all the higher ranking uh, white grain cutters. He didn't miss a beat. 
not not a hand that, that guy trains hard and he's a very responsible and I'm very very pleased to have him on, on our team love so, that guy yeah. known him since, known him since I was 18 that's yeah. Nick it's just so nice out here it's hard to go back but that's where my heart is sensei who's that guy sitting next to you this is a very, very promising young master. He's a fifth Dan in our style. And um, so we're spending a lot of time with him now because uh, um, at our annual Christmas banquet, he'll be coming with his sensei and many of the black belts from BC out here and students. And where we are all going to grade him to a sixth Dan, which is a very big step for us and a step for him into building the foundation of what we call Legacy Shore. And I appreciate that very much. Are we in your dojo right now, Stefan? Is that where we are? Uh, we are in, we're in my classroom. I'm a music teacher and we're oh, in the right. classroom and we'll be training tonight in the gym here at the school. So after the meeting, we'll just move over to the gym to train. <clears throat> was more convenient you know to just go from here and just walk into the gym instead of trying to drive around so again um, stefan is making things very easy for us well thanks for doing that stefan it's nice to see you it was great having you out here when you were out here uh stefan was in this dojo a little while ago he led some classes out here with some of my students everybody really loved it he did a great job teaching classes out here and uh it's nice to see you on the camera tonight. And thanks for uh, training hard with Sensei Legacy. I'd like to just add this, like uh, Sensei Suino, we would like to bring you out here with us sometime. I would love to come out there. To come out and show our, our BC. We have four schools in BC and it would be nice for you to come down and show them our association style of EI. Would love to do that, especially if they have beer and meat. <laughs> and bears <laughs> well bears are delicious so <laughs> as it turns out <laughs> um yeah it's funny i got a, a text message from uh sensei mike russell who runs one of the dojos out there as well and he said uh you'll like this sense of legacy he said some guy showed up in my class tonight and he said he was your student and he got a yellow belt from you his name is Alan. And I said, man, I don't know who that is. <laughs> I said, can you send me a picture or give me a little more context? I can't figure out who that yellow belt is. And then the other thing that'll make you laugh, Sense Legacy, is we had a student call in uh, and he said, I'm 60. I, I did karate before, but I think I'm too old and I'm nervous to come. And I said, you should just come. Like, told him the story of Sensei Ibu Suzaki. And I said, who did you do karate before? He goes, Oh, you wouldn't know him. You ever heard of John Pearson? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I know who Sensei Pearson is. He's a, he's a good friend of mine. And I said, and I know his karate teacher really well. His karate teacher is my karate teacher. He goes, Sensei Legacy is your karate teacher? I said, yeah, that's my karate teacher for 33 years. He just started laughing. I said, how about we say you're not joining? You're just coming home. Yeah. And he said, I think, I think I found the place and I'm coming back. So that's perfect. Yeah, this small I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Sensei. Yeah. Is this an appropriate time to mention that my dear friend has passed? I think Steve it is, Sensei. 
Yeah, I saw that uh, Sensei Kanispo just joined. So now is a good time to maybe bring that up. Yeah, I just want to say that back from my early 20s, Steve Reynolds and I were, we, we met as martial artists, but we came, became really close friends. We're both from the East Coast, sort of. He was a bit of a new fee, and I was a bit of a New Brunswicker. And we fell into that friendship context where we were always fooling, competing with each other in hilarious ways. There is one certain thing that happened that we always just wore about being young persons from the East. And uh, we were also competitors. I fought him on a black belt level and he was one opponent. Like this guy had the heart, the heart of a warrior. So I just want to take, you know, not to make it long and dragged out, but I just want to take maybe 10 or 15 seconds to just everybody who knows him, think about him, but not solemn, but with a bit of a smile on her face. He would, he would have liked that instead of, you know, being sad about his life. His life was good and he was a good martial artist. So if we could just take her 10 or 15 seconds to What a great person he was. Yeah, I posted that picture of you and he just at one of our Shias just sitting there talking to each other. You know, actually, Sensei, Sensei Reynolds is one of those people where like this show is kind of spawned from your conversations with a person like that. When I was, you know, 20 years old, 22 years old, I like to just be in the room while you and Sensei Reynolds were talking and just listen to those stories about pool parties and different things. and just learn some different things about martial arts and some different insights. And people might not think that that's valuable at the time, but later it really informs your thinking. Like as a younger person who gets to listen to somebody like you and Sensei Reynolds talk, um, great man. And you know, our thoughts are with his family and uh, maybe I could be so bold as we'd like to dedicate this show to the memory of Sensei Reynolds as we're talking tonight. You can, yeah. And my high to duck, I, I feel your pain, losing your sensei. It happened to me with Benny Allen and Richard Kim. And you know, you miss that. Even though Matsumura today is dead, I consider myself one of his descendants. And there were a lot of people between him and I, like Benny Allen, Steve Reynolds, guys who made the martial arts what they are today. And Sensei Suino has gone through that as well, because a name that we often don't mention on this show that we should mention a lot is Matsur Katsuo Yamaguchi. The guy is a true Majin. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I once had the absolute, absolute honor of training with. Like, yeah. Awesome. So what I want to do is I want to jump in with a question. So one of our former uh, guests, uh, Sensei Frank Clayton, who actually, he's out there in British Columbia. So he's on, he's on your time right now, Sensei. Yeah, yeah. He sent in a question and said, um, 
it's basically on the business side of martial arts, but I think it's a good question. How much should you charge? Um, and he put, you know, if you're teaching in a dojo, if you're teaching in your home, if you're teaching in your garage, if you're teaching in a park, how much should you charge? Um, which I like these questions because they, I, I always have an initial reaction. $20, like $20, but then in my mind, I start thinking it through and I'm like, oh, well, what about the, all the things kind of flood in. So maybe, um, since Sino, we'll start with you. You run a very successful dojo. JMAC is extremely successful. You're in the third generation of that dojo. So what's your philosophy when it comes to the business side of charging for martial arts? Well, I'll give you my uh, gut reaction and then we can talk about it a little bit more and see if I change my mind. Um, my philosophy if you have a if you have a formal freestanding dojo, um, is that you should charge as much as the market will bear. Um, I think you set uh, an expectation of quality by your prices, and um, and I, I I really think it's true. People people evaluate you based on what you charge. Now, having said that. I also think it's important that if someone walks in the door and they really truly show you that they sincerely want to study martial arts and the money is a barrier that you should have some flexibility all the way down to zero if necessary. So I realize that sounds a little schizophrenic, but on the one hand, I think personally, I want to be well above average and close to the top of anybody who charges in my region. Um, but if someone comes to me with the right story, I uh, will bend on that quite a bit. Thanks, Sensei. Lacey, what are you thinking about that? Martial artist. I myself am a lousy businessman. <laughs> I, <laughs> I rely on, on Randy and Sensei's Sweeno's lead. Uh, I mainly, I do have a dojo, but I train in a dojo where uh, uh, John Kettleberger, one of my eight dans, he runs the dojo and, and I teach out of there. I'm, I'm the principal teacher, but he takes care of business. So um, don't sell yourself cheap. Don't put yourself out of reach. It's exactly what he is saying. Personally, when I teach private lessons, um, which can support your club a lot, I charge a dollar a minute. So uh, what happens there is the student has the opportunity to choose how much he wants to spend. So if he wants to spend $30 an hour with you, he can spend a half an hour with you. And you being the good instructor, you will you be able to give him his value. And if he wants to send $40, $45, uh, then you do a 45 minute class. And then that way he gets a little bit longer time with you and he'll know what his learning abilities are and what you can give him during that time. And then I, I normally max out at an hour, which is $60. And the reason for that is, you know, a good instructor will know when a student has had enough, simply because he won't, you, you know, you're taking it in and you're doing it. And then when you get to say 55 minutes, he starts saying, oh, what was that again? Or he starts to stutter as far as taking in the information. You as a good instructor say, should say, that's enough. Let him only take his capacity at his level. And that will of course increase, but uh, that's my 
my take on helping anyone who's going to take martial arts or anyone who's going to teach martial arts. Uh, some people may overcharge and think they're, they're the greatest and charge $200 an hour. Well, that's fine. Only actors and millionaires will be your students. So that's my little bit. Cool. So I'm going to jump in on that one since I, I do run a business here. Um, so one thing I would say is you have to charge enough to meet your business expenses. If it's costing you money and gas to go teach a private lesson and you're not charging enough to cover the gas that you're spending, you're not charging enough. You need to cover your expenses. The building has to get paid. Now, for me personally, the money that I make here goes back into the business account. I don't, I work at the university, so I'm not worried about paying my bills. Um, but I agree with Sensei Suino, your market needs to be understood and you need to charge as much as you can for the market that you're in. You know, if you're, if you're in the middle of nowhere where there's not really a robust industry around you, the economics is repressed, you're not going to be able to charge as much as if you're in Kitchener-Waterloo, which has 650,000 people in it, or if you're in Toronto, which has 4 million people in it. Um, I'll just say one thing. I'm not going to name any style, but you'll all know who it is. It really pisses me off when I go into other clubs, like my stepchildren trained in another club for a while. And when they told me how much they paid a month to train there, and the martial arts was like shit. I mean, it was not good. And... So the, I think we often undervalue ourselves. And one thing I would say on that is some of my students who, like a person like Dave Fowler or Mario Musso, every year, every time they paid me their dues, they said, this is not enough. You need to charge more money. Like Dave Fowler once said to me, Sensei, I called all the clubs in town and you're charging the least amount of all of these people and you need to put your dues up. And then when COVID hit, they just uh, had a meeting independent of me and they all put their dues up. They just all said, we're, this is what we're paying. And that put us back at the market level. And it's been very good since then. Um, other things I would say would be, um, because I think what students don't see is the sensei biting his fingernails and sweating every month, thinking about how do I keep the lights on in here? How do I keep the air conditioner going? Uh, it's a challenge and it's a passion and you want to do it. So there are many months you take money out of your own bank account and put it in to the coffers of the dojo to keep it going. And I know since legacy has done that a lot too. Um, the other wrinkle I would put in is when families train with you, I give them a different price. Usually if two people are training, it's the same price. As soon as a third person comes, they get a different price. When a fourth person comes, it's an entirely different price. And when there's like five people from a family training in your dojo, it's a, it's a much different uh, scale then. Because I, you want that family in here. You want them training together. It adds a lot to them. Um, the last thing I'll say is the money can never be the goal. The martial arts always has to be the goal. And the money has to be the secondary thing, I think. Before we move on to something else, Sensuino, you said uh, you might have changed your opinion or have different thoughts. Do you want to chime in on anything? Yeah, well, I haven't changed my opinion, but I'll give you some other perspective on it, right? <laughs> once, once the dojo starts running fairly well, you know, we were lucky at JMAC. The, the community embraced us pretty quickly. 
And so it didn't take long to start paying the rent and the utility bills most of the time. You know, then we'd have to move, we'd have to renovate or something. And there were, you know, um, there were periods of, there were, there were hungry periods, let's say, for, for quite a long time. But uh, when the basic needs are met, and then you go beyond them, it really gives you opportunities. I never thought of martial arts as a place that anybody should get rich in if they do more power to them. But what I find uh, really satisfying about, about when our dojo is doing well is that we can put together, let's say, a trip to Japan, and I can pay my airfare to that. And I can sometimes help other people in our school, most notably one of the guys on our call, right, who's very key to the, to the quality and existence of JMAC, um, and, you know, help him with his expenses, uh, you know, for that as well. So the better, the more, the more the dojo thrives financially, the more opportunity there is, right, to bring instructors in, to travel to other places, to have a nicer facility, and to help some of the people in the organization who are, you know, for the most part, essentially volunteers, even if you pay them a minimal wage. Um, so it's really nice when you can help them experience some of that same opportunity. I like that. And one of the things that I find funny in our circle of people is that, you know, Sensei Legacy will often say to me, we're, we'll work on some seminar. We're going to do this seminar. And I'll say, Sensei, what do you think the price should be? And he always like grossly like lowballs it. He's like, and I'm always like, I think it needs to be this. And then he'll be like, okay, well, you do that, Randy, you, you go. And then it's funny because the last time I was with you and we went over from the May training camp, all the, you said to me, look, this is what you took, Randy, but you did like so much work. The next time you need to take this amount. So how many more students do we have to get and how much do we need to charge to offset the work that you're doing to make something like this happen? Um, and Sean Benson, who's not on the call, he's another one who's like, no more, like, no, the value's higher. And that's a guy who was in Los Angeles. And you ever want an, an expensive market for martial arts, for good martial arts? Go talk to Sean Benson about, like, some of the dues he was paying per month um, in Los Angeles. So, Cecilia, so, do you want to chip any last thoughts in before I move, shift to another topic? No, like I said, uh, that's not my forte. When I entered martial arts, I had no idea of being a teacher and uh, I never really set my mind on building a structure. Like for the first, uh, until I met Randy, basically, uh, for number, my first year, I never advertised. It was always by word of mouth, students, people, people have heard. I've been in St. Thomas in the small community since 1971 and I'd hardly even, I'm terrible. Like, and like Randy is saying, he's the guy who pulled me up to half standards and I'm just a simple karate guy. You know, I guess that's before we leave that topic though, one of the things that I think is that when you started in 1971 teaching, there was only like two other martial arts schools anywhere even close to you. So if they wanted to do martial arts, you didn't have to advertise, you didn't have to market, you didn't have to do these things because they didn't have any choice. Like, it's like, you're the only, you're the only steakhouse in town. They're coming to you for steak, right? Yeah. In 1971, I was the only karate club in London. There was another Kung Fu guy, very well respected. His name was Paul Chow. 
And we were the only two guys in the entire city. But again, you know, people have to know where you are and stuff like that. And it was it was on, on the separation of my sensei quitting teaching that I just happened to be known because of competitions and stuff. But I never actively like put newspaper ads in. And that's probably why I I tapered off as opposed to grew like uh, J Mac and your dojo. So, uh, yeah, it was a different thought, a different mindset for me. Right. So, and today you can't, right? Like if you don't, if you don't react to what's happening now, then, and sometimes the decisions you make today, they're going to cause problems for you five years from now, in my opinion, right? Like, for example, one of the things I woke up to was that other dojos in this community are taking people in at a younger age and training them poorly, but they stay there, right? So then they've gobbled up those people. And then five years later, I'm like, okay, well, I want a bunch of 10-year-olds, but they all started in other places. And now that market has contracted. So you got to kind of react to that and get those people in. And sadly in here, because I, I teach real karate to them, a lot of them wash out, right? But one of the things I think is still a service is when they wash out, they don't go to the other place because they're like, karate isn't for me. I, I shouldn't be doing this. They go to the other place and they're like, this isn't karate. I was already in a place that did karate. But the ones who stay become Robert Chlumsky, <coughs> Josh Hanley, Daniel J. Holland III, like the ones who actually can stick it out become like the most incredible martial artists when they're adults. Don't get me wrong, I'm not countering you, you persons. I'm saying I'm not good at it. I'm, but I am saying that you help me, right? You help me bring me up to understanding that I can't be paying for students to be learning from me. So right. getting an education from you guys. And I appreciate it. It's a symbiotic relationship, Sensei. Uh, Sensei Knispel sent in a message and said, uh, thank you so much for saying those kind words about my Sensei. And uh, Doug, we're there for you, buddy. Legacy Sharner, J-Mac, this community. If uh, Sensei Reynolds' family needs anything or your dojo needs anything, you just reach out to any one of us and we're going to help you to the fullest extent. We're a brotherhood. We are a brotherhood or a sisterhood. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So I'm going to switch topics here for a second. Uh, Sensei Sfino, you had a topic that you wanted to talk about uh, tonight, and it would be great if you wanted to frame it up. We're going to do something this weekend, and martial artists often do things like this, but not quite like this one, which I think is very unique. So do you want to frame this up for us, Sensei? I do. I do. So the question is going to be, you know, why do we do intense experiences in the martial arts? Uh, and I realize there's intense experiences all over. Certainly you can talk about those, but specifically, you know, why do we do things that have long durations or that are really, really demanding? Like what are the benefits? And the reason I asked that question is because we're hosting the JMAC Crucible this weekend. It's an event we've done. I don't, I can't even remember now, maybe, maybe half a dozen times, five. Um, and, uh, it's a 12-hour lockdown event. The students have to agree to show up at 6 a.m. This is what I say to them. I say, you have to agree to show up at 6 a.m. and leave at 6 p.m. 
uh, or not leave until 6 p.m. unless it's in an ambulance. And uh, everybody chuckles at that. Um, and of course, if they need an ambulance, we will send them away. But if they have scrapes or bruises, they got to agree to persevere. If they're fearful or tired, they got to agree to persevere. Uh, if they get a little overwhelmed, they got to agree to sit, get their mind right and persevere. The whole point is to be a little nervous about the 12-hour uh, the experience. But there are a lot of benefits to that. And um, I also say nobody leaves unchanged. Sometimes that change isn't obvious. Uh, you know, at 6.01, sometimes that change, the value of that process doesn't occur to them until a week later, a month later, a year later, right? The way it lives in memory and the way it formulates your, your um, experience, your willingness to engage in more intense experience uh, is really powerful. Um, so that's kind of why we do the crucible. And I'm curious to think, you know, I know you, you have intense testing experience at Legacy Karate and, and other things like that. So um, yeah, I'd love to chat about that a bit. Okay. Uh, since Lacey, if you don't mind, I'm going to chime in on a couple of things. And then if you want to give some thoughts on, so one I've done this, this time, it will be my, uh, my fourth time coming to the crucible. Uh, I missed the very first one and I haven't missed it since. Um, and I don't intend to ever miss it again. Well, that means we've always had somebody from Canada at our crucibles because we had some Canadians at the first one. Okay. Well, we're going to keep that rocking. And I'm really happy to say that you're going to have 15 Canadians at this crucible. So there'll be 15 of us coming down there. And one thing I would say about the environment is you're if, at the crucible, you're gonna feel uncomfortable for sure, for hours in the day, not for a couple of minutes. There's gonna be hours of uncomfortability that you're gonna to have to just throw yourself into. But on the other side of that is a very supportive environment of people who are gonna try and when you're low, somebody's gonna be high and they're gonna try and pull you up to that level and help you. And with the exception of me, probably, nobody in that room is gonna try and crush you or destroy you or make you feel like terrible. Um, if I do, I'm sorry, it's unintentional, maybe not. Um, but it's an amazing event. The last time I did it, uh, I think since Suno when I stepped on the scale, I had lost eight pounds from 6 a.m. till 6 p.m. And I don't know if you realize this, if you're watching this, I don't really got eight pounds to lose. <laughs> like that's, I'm on the other side of it. I'm usually trying to gain a couple of pounds. Um, but these intense experiences, the crucible, like if you know what that word is, under intense pressure comes change. So like, you know, you, you pressure coal. And then it turns into a diamond under extreme pressure. It becomes a diamond. And I think we all move closer to being a diamond when you're under pressure. The other cool thing is once you've been under pressure one time, for some reason, you got to amplify it by magnitudes the next time to put yourself under the same amount of pressure. Like it has to start getting ridiculous like you're going to go up to a mountain at 8,000 feet and try and get to 10,000 feet like you have to do extreme things um in legacy shorter our crucible is our black belt grading and uh the black belt grading usually starts sometime around 8 a.m and then sometime around noon you will have done for me so i did like 16 katas all my basics had to demonstrate bunkai had to do a bunch of self-defenses then I had to get in the ring and I had to fight uh, 12 people. Well, I ended up fighting 24 people because 
we had to go, every person had to go through the thing, right? So by the time you were done, you had fought 24 people and Sets Legacy would not let the fight stop until you had landed some type of a fight finishing technique. So you could be in there for like 10 minutes, just getting the snot pounded out of you until you eventually like, bang, landed that one shot and then he'd stop the fight. And I got to tell you, at the end of it, I did have blood. I did have tears. I had tons of sweat. But then the interesting thing is, the next day when I went to the dojo and Sense Legacy said, okay, Randy, you got to fight this one guy. That was a total, like, it was like, okay, this is serious, but this isn't like fighting 24 people and doing 16 katas and like, win, lose, or dry, I know I can get through this one fight. I can live through this. I can get through it. So that's the change I experienced through our black belt grade. Sense Legacy, what do you want to say about uh, intense martial arts experiences or in life, period? Yeah, well, I think that that thing sort of makes you reach your higher self. Uh, for instance, surprise yourself. Uh, reach for new levels. And, you know, when you, you break your physical and mental ceiling, that those two things together can lead you into new, even uh, new spiritual and uh, entire human levels for yourself. You know, you, you, you may surprise yourself by thinking, well, I'm not this type of guy, but you know, maybe you need to remove that crust and then your true self really shines through. Some people don't have that uh, ability to do that. But when you go to uh, Sensei Suino's place, he has that leadership that can lead you there. And then after that experience, you can, you can lead yourself there. And it's a great experience. I personally have never been there and at my age, um, I stay away from, <laughs> I stay away from it because I know it's intense. And, and, uh, my students are going though, and I think you should take that chance. Thanks, Jose. Hey, Stefan, just so you're not just always on the screen sitting there, do you yeah. have any thoughts? I don't mean to put you on the spot. You can just say pass. You got any thoughts on this stuff? Anything rattling around as we're talking that you want to share? Well, I mean, I'm. Just uh, trying to soak up all the, you know, all the insights from you guys. But I mean, certainly in my, my, uh, history of martial arts training, there have been some long sessions. I know you guys are familiar with, uh, mustard sensei for Aikido. He did used to, uh, I trained with him also for about 15 years and he ran a, what he called a sensei course where it would be a little bit as you're describing when he would, we would come in and line up and then he'd go unlock the doors just to send that message that, <laughs> nobody's leaving and these weren't 12 hour sessions this would be a three hour session but it would happen every friday evening for a number of weeks if you signed up for the special treatment and we would do what he called hajime training which was just continuous techniques till exhaustion one technique for three hours over and over and of course you're familiar with aikido that means falling down and getting up and falling down and getting up hundreds and hundreds of times till you're just like rubber and, and certainly as miserable as they could be when you're in the middle of it, you always feel um, 
like you did something worthwhile. When you're done, you, you definitely have an understanding a little bit more, as you guys are saying, about what you're capable of. And the regular class just doesn't seem so scary after that. Yeah, I like that. You know, it's one of those, if you never ran as hard as you possibly can run as fast as you, how could you possibly know how fast you can run? You, you can't, right? Like if you've never just like all out sprinted as fast as you possibly could for as long as you possibly could, you can't know how fast you can go. It's impossible. Love sense of mustard too, by the way. Love that guy, former guest and good friend. It was nice to see him when he was out here since Lacey and I went and had lunch with him. The more I hear about him, the better I like him. I can't wait to meet him. He always speaks very highly of you guys now and I'm glad that you've connected because uh, he's been important as well in my history and career over the last uh, two decades. So, so uh, Robert posted the link to the Crucible in the group chat. Um, I'm not sure if you can actually go anymore now. What's what are our numbers like now, Census Fino? Uh, it depends. If there's somebody on this call who desperately wants to go, or if they have a student or two they'd like to send, um, just have them reach out to me. I can wedge a few more in. We've had a couple of um, we've had a couple of uh, injury and COVID uh, uh, withdrawals, so I got a little bit of bandwidth now. So I'm looking at the list of people on the call, and I'm thinking like, you know, if uh, since Knispo wants to come, we'll probably make room for him, right? I'll pay. I'll pay for him to come. Okay. If uh, Sensei Copeland wants to come, we'll probably make some room for him. I see he's on the call. Um, come on, could, Sensei Copeland. Bring a I, bunch of students. We'll have a blast. I can tell you one thing: when it comes to the striking section, nobody's gonna like it with Sensei Copeland. Well, they're gonna <laughs> love it and not love it. They're gonna love it and not love it. But um, yeah. Let's say, uh, Srino, any last thoughts on the Crucible, these intense experiences? I personally say that if you're a martial artist or in life, you should seek them out. And you cannot have too many of them. You, they don't all have to be physical, but I think they need to encapsulate something physical, something mental, and something spiritual. I think it has to be for it to be like truly a Crucible, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and and I just think it, we want to. I want to make sure we mention the fact that although these are personal crucibles, right, that they're transformative for people as individuals. When we come into them with a mindset that we're part of a group of people working together to get through it, it's incredible how there's also a great bonding experience that takes place. You make you make lifetime friends in a day, right? If you walk into these with the right mindset, you help each other through. So there's a component to that that I know is true in the martial arts as well. And it's amazing how, how well you could, you know, you just, you become friends with somebody uh, for life just by suffering with them for 12 hours. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. So I know Sense Legacy has a topic, but one thing I forgot to do because I'm not Sean Benson is say, if you're on this call and you want to ask a question, please send it through to Robert. Uh, please let us turn the camera on. Let's hash it out together. We want you to be part of this living history and we want to chat with you. Um, and there's some people right now on the call that I'd love it if they wanted to ask a question or make a statement and get on here and say something. It'd be awesome to turn the camera on and, and get them in here. But well, uh, vir virtually everybody, I think, right? You know, I'd love a question from Pam Sweeno. I'd love, the, love a question from Holland Sensei. I'd love a question from 
Big Al, our, our super fan. I'd love a question from Justin Shea, from Christine Hussey. I'd love a question, of course, from <laughs> Sensei Conroy Copeland and also from Sensei Doug Knispel. I'm calling yes. them out individually, as you see. <clears throat> yeah, call them out. But before we get to that, and while you're thinking about it, Sensei Legacy, you had a topic or an idea that you wanted to explore? Um, uh, well, the, the one about the youth. Yeah. <clears throat> I was wondering a little bit, um, as a new martial artist, young, mainly young persons who are always on their phones and doing stuff like that, if they, they find it as valuable an experience, um, taking martial arts in a Zoom scenario, as opposed to being in a classroom. And the reason I'm asking that is if they've only done that, that they may um, gain some, um, some type of a view of whether they are reaching their full potential by just training um, by way of Zoom, as opposed to being, being in the presence of a sensei in a classroom situation. So uh, mostly young, mostly already martial artists watch our program. So it's not likely going to be many young inexperienced people who just, you know, go by Zoom. So I guess we will have to try to answer for them or give um, someone some sort of an idea what the difference is really is between first just doing Zoom or then informing them that, geez, you know, maybe I could do better if I was in front of a sensei. So that's a long question. Yeah, so we'll come back to you, sensei, for your thoughts on it at the end. Like, at the end. <clears throat> I don't mind chiming in first and then since you know you can uh, react to it if you want. When the pandemic hit is when Zoom kind of like exploded, right? When the pandemic hit. And one of the things about when the pandemic hit was like people were trapped in their houses. That's why we started this show actually, right? This uh, punch kick choke chat was so that while people were stuck in their houses, they could still be doing some martial arts, at least some learning martial arts, which I think was a great thing. It's kept going. Um, I liked it because it kept me engaged with the students that I have. And I will say that for some things I was able to innovate and I can do things now that I would have not considered before the pandemic. So as an example, uh, the cardio kickboxing classes that I teach, which involve no interaction with another human being, uh, the JMAC 18, which we call it the LMF 24 because we just like to do one extra cycle here. Um, those, it's very easy to do that on Zoom. From British Columbia, uh, Kimberly Blackstock logs in with fair degree of regularity to do those physical fitness classes with us. And it's very <coughs> easy to do that. And it's also very easy to bring a new person in. What I won't do and what I don't do and what I didn't even do during the pandemic was take new martial arts students and try and teach them their basics and everything from the ground up on Zoom. And I'm not sure that you can do that because there needs to be a, for me, there needs to be a physical interaction as an instructor. I need to be able to come over to you and kick my foot behind your knee and push your leg forward and yank your elbow back into chamber position 
And it just gets too frustrating as the instructor to try and articulate that through Zoom. Now, some people like Christiana Altamirano, who lives in Ottawa, who's already a black belt and who moved away afar, Zoom is great for her to log in and be able, she already has great basics. She already knows her katas. She already has these things. So for her to log in and do that section of her curriculum through Zoom, it's allowed her to stay connected to Legacy Sharner in a way that wouldn't have been possible before. I think with the BC Dojo, like when students log in and train with me on Zoom and I, it's just an easy link for us to stay connected together. And I think that's a really good benefit of Zoom for an established student who knows what they're doing. Um, so those are my thoughts. Sensuino, do you have any? Yeah, I agree with everything you said about that. Uh, uh, to add a couple of more things. So, so um, uh, you know, Zoom kept JMAC alive, right? For the, the hardest core part of, the hardest core part of COVID when we were shut down, we were able to do things by Zoom. Now we had, you know, 10% of our membership was regular on Zoom. People just, it just doesn't work for everybody. But those who stayed on there, we have a few people that got really, really good at judo during the pandemic because they really stopped, slowed down and focused on the basics for a little while. As you said, they had training beforehand. They had training after. It's not a substitute for live training, but it really helped. Here's something I don't want to forget. During the pandemic, we also did 24 hours of Zoom martial arts with instructors all over the planet. And even though nobody became a master in any one of those martial arts during that time, that was an experience that you can't get. I mean, you can go and do group martial arts seminars like we did in May, pretty freaking incredible. But to train with, you know, to have 96 training opportunities over 24 hours with all these different instructors, that's phenomenal. And I don't see how you do that without something like Zoom. So it's a really good tool, but it's absolutely not a substitute for, uh, uh, you know, 100% substitute for in-person training. Yeah, I don't think uh, anybody's going to go into the UFC and say, I did all my training on Zoom, and now I'm going in the UFC. <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch that fight. I'll get that pay-per-view. It'll be very short. <laughs> and I guess the, the real life proof in that is that I am here in BC. That uh, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth ends to learn proper martial arts should be in the presence of their sensei. Because there is more than just words that make you a martial artist. Sometimes it's the atmosphere, sometimes it's the mannerisms of an actual live human being training with you. So we all agree. I just thought I'd throw it out there and. And in a way, for all instructors and everything, I'm, I'm sort of uh, put it out there so that the persons who have only trained on Zoom would walk into a dojo as opposed to just staying back there. Hey, look at this handsome fella. Yes. Yeah. You have now, some comments about this, right? You said you've pulled your students and you have some comments about this? Well, yeah, the, the Zoom thing was an amazing situation. Uh, but first of all, hello to all my wonderful friends there, Mr. Um, Nicholas Sweeney. I heard you call my name early. I was trying to get myself together. I'm not sure. Everything what I said about you is really nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I'll ask Sensei Legacy afterwards because he always tells me the truth. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and always will. Always for sure. But yeah, we, we did the Zoom thing, you know, and we, uh, I, I, I surveyed my kids, my students, because uh, like Randy said earlier, the Zoom kept me in tune with everyone, but you cannot. And we're of the same, the same kind of a fixture where we like to go over and have hands on and you can't have hands on on Zoom, but it does keep you in touch with everyone. And then of course, you know, we have, <laughs> we had a different, a little different flavor that um, I promise that when you get back to the dojo, we're going to revisit everything from a basic perspective and there will be hands-on because on Zoom, you just kind of keep things generally focused. But none of my students like Zoom and we did not take any new people on Zoom just for those reasons that you mentioned. And um, getting back on the dojo was like almost like starting over again because Zoom kept everybody face to face, but it did not improve anyone's technique. And that was something that was big time missing. But if you already have experience, it could give you the, the general feeling of being active during those times. You can't learn on Zoom. You can, you can refresh, you can you know, have reference to, but to learn from Zoom, from the scratch, you need hands-on. And there's, there's nothing like having someone fix your legs and focus your arms and get your head to turn the right way. And then of course, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you have to be a little bit more forceful. Zoom does not allow that to happen. <laughs> the impact of martial arts. Oh, unbelievable. 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 So but I, I, on, on the Zoom question, I have a question for everybody. So I, I'm curious to know when you were teaching on Zoom, what did you, what did you, how did you do it? What did you do? I know I'll share for me what I did was with people who knew something, one thing that went out the window instantly was group kata. Like as far as like everybody staying in sync and doing the same thing, because I'm watching the screen going, oh my, my, this guy's like, this guy's video screen feed, their Wi-Fi is terrible. This person's training underneath a flight of stairs in like a Harry Potter dojo. Like, <laughs> you know, like, um, but so I did a, like a lot of one move, one move caught like itch where are we knee where are we initially people really liked that they were like this is good i'm like really re as you said sensei copeland i'm really refreshing things i'm pulling my chamber into the right spot it got pretty tired after six months i'll be honest with you um and then i when i got a little better with um zoom i was like okay i'm putting these three people in a breakout room with this instructor and these three people in this room and I'm going to watch these three and then we're going to change it all up again. That's about all the innovation I could bring to this conversation. So Sensei Copeland, what did you do? What strategies did you have for Zoom? Yeah, well, I, I had a little bit of the Zoom experience prior. So I understood the breakout room formality and we started that, you know, fairly early. So most of the advanced students that stayed with us during the COVID, they would be in a breakout room with a couple of students. I think we had like maybe three per breakout room. And then 
you know, that way it's not overwhelming there. And then we bring everybody back. So it, it was the, it was one of the most creative times in my life because you learn all these different ways to get your message to people who are not always all on the same page. And that, that just took some creativity for sure. And of course, all the technical stuff that you learn about, you know, presenting your, your message. I mean, we have equipment now that we never saw, we'd never use for martial artists. Like really, when do you get a, when do you get a monitor camera and all tripod and all the stuff so you can kick and punch? That was never part of the, the sweat equity doesn't come through video cameras, you know? So we did all those things because we were forced to, but the breakout room was one of the big benefits. It just took a little bit of the load off you, the instructor, trying to teach the entire group and trying to maintain all those different little, little cubicles. But people were moving from place to place and it's like, where did camera number one just went? Like, I just lost someone. And then the head would pop up. Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was, and this, and then the dog would run across. Listen, this is a dojo. You cannot have any dogs running across the street. Oh, we have to go for a walk. Okay, bye. Camera goes black. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so needless to say, I made a lot of threats that if you do that again, when you come, when you come back in person, there will be hands on. And, uh, you know, we, we did have a lot of those. Sensei, you promised you're going to punch me in the neck. Okay, well, come on over. What do you have, Sensei Suino, on that teaching on Zoom? I'm salty now because it never occurred to me to do breakout rooms during COVID. <laughs> never occurred to me once. I was spending my whole time thinking about how to get around the rules. How can we, how can we, you know, how, how can we make this work? How can we get in person? You know, much, much sooner than most provinces in Canada, we were able to come back and have like, you know, six foot or 10 foot spacing or, you know, masks and air and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, uh, you know, so that was where we focused our attention. We kept Zoom a long time. And of course, as you said, we still have the, we still have the JMAC 18 by Zoom and we still do, we still bring in other schools sometimes for some of our workouts to let them participate in class that's something we'll always do and from now from this day forward when the need presents itself i will remember to have breakout rooms <laughs> so so listen uh since legacy you taught on world martial arts live actually all of us did and dan holland wave around dan or clear your voice so that you'll come to the screen but, oh great uh, dan is on call now he had a question for us before we get to that question uh i want to share something about covid because you're talking about the spacing census you know uh no since the copeland don't go why did why did he disappear no put him back on the screen please he was attracting too much attention <laughs> yeah yeah good looking <laughs> um so when one of the breaks when we like we were locked down and then all of a sudden we were able to open but we had to tape the floor and you had to do a, like you know sanitize your hands uh do a, a thermometer all that kind of stuff and we were teaching iaido in here and there was uh i think three of us me and justin shea and i can't remember who the other person are but all of a sudden the door opened and i looked back and there's some lady with a province of ontario and a mask on and She's like, here, and we don't have masks on, and we're doing our EIDO. 
And uh, you didn't have to wear a mask in this region when you were training. But she said, can I talk to you? And I said, not now, you have to wait until the... So she stood there for like 35 minutes waiting for the class to be done. And then I went <laughs> over to her and uh, pulled my mask on and went over to her. And she said, uh, are you aware of all... I said, I'm really well aware. And she went over the list and I said, you can see I have all of that. And I'm actually exceeding the protocols. And she said, well, listen, you're supposed to have the floor taped and you're supposed to be wearing a mask as the instructor. I said, I don't think so because I'm training at the same time as I'm teaching. I think it, she goes, well, that is a gray area. And then I said to her, I said, listen, everybody on this floor has a three foot sword. If we get inside of six feet of each other, COVID's not our worry. It's a self-correcting problem. <laughs> she, she just said, good point. I'm going to email you some information and she left. And that was the end of that. Anyway, Sense of Legacy, you taught on Zoom. And I know you're not like a huge proponent of running classes on Zoom and things like that. What was the experience for World Martial Arts Live and teaching on Zoom like for you? Did you like it, not like it? You can. I didn't favor it. Uh, but again, um, to have an event to keep martial artists in touch. It's a good tool. It's a good tool to do that. Um, and I guess my word would be, as everyone has touched on the subject, would be that it's maintenance. You know, we're, we're not making ourselves better, but we're keeping up. And we want that. We need that contact with other martial artists in whatever way it is, as opposed to like blanking the screen, coming back two years later and starting over. What would that be like? Yeah, so it's something I didn't really like, and I still really don't like. I like the student come in. I want to smell them, see them, feel them, taste them, everything, so that we can get the best martial arts experience. But what we're doing now is also good for all martial artists in the world. So um, it is a tool. It is, in a sense, necessary but it is not the best way, in my opinion. It's all been said. I don't want to rehash it. Well, I was expecting you to say, I hate teaching on Zoom. I never want to teach on Zoom. <laughs> That's yeah. what I was expecting your answer to be. <laughs> I didn't want to say that because I want to be invited back to the next world. <laughs> <laughs> of course you will be. So we have... Uh, Dan Holland, Sensei Holland has a question and that's why I asked you Sensei Copeland to stay on because it's still a question building on the Zoom. And I know you did a lot of Zoom and so he has a question. Before <clears> that, <throat> I wanna say that uh, I was at JMAC a little while ago. Sensei Sfino did a very big grading and uh, Dan was graded to his six degree black belt in Iaido and very well-deserved uh, six Dan. If you've never seen, the guy's just a martial arts phenom. I don't know what else to say. Go ahead and go do judo with him and he's gonna hit you with the earth. Go ahead and do um, some Iaido with him and he's gonna do it better than you. Uh, go ahead and do some karate with him. And as long as it's not the people on this call, he's probably gonna destroy you there too. <laughs> <laughs> Very remarkable martial artist. Yes. Dan, what's your question, buddy? I can't wait to see you. I know I can't wait to see you in just a few days. Yeah. 
Uh, it's funny, if you get a bunch of brilliant people and put them in a room, virtual or otherwise, they're gonna start thinking the same way. I submitted my question just as you started answering it. My question was like, you know, what are techniques that you use to help teach over Zoom? I taught over the pandemic, I found it challenging. So I was trying to, you know, come up with ways to keep things interesting and to be as clear as possible to my other students. So I was curious to hear what you guys did and he kind well, of- Well, what did you do, Dan? For a grappling art, like EIDO, I, I trained with you through the pandemic. We, yep. we had lessons with this, you know. Um, what did you do for grappling arts? What did you do for, for Zoom, for grappling? A lot of the things that I did was I would use, I guess, markers on the floor, either tape or like a bow or a joe or a tennis ball to kind of show angles and distance and where my body was moving and what my body was moving around to just, and I also tried to move the camera around in, you know, different ways so that people could see what I was doing. Wow. What did you do, Sensei Copeland? What, did you have any specific techniques that you're trying to drive home or? Well, most of our stuff was just like the technical part. The, we had to use <clears throat> cameras as an example to get the, to get the, the feedback from the, from the students watching. I would say left side and they would be doing the right side because they're interpreting what they're seeing. So we had to do a reverse flip where my left was actually their left and they don't have to spin around and go, but you're using the other arm. Every left was your left, not necessarily my left. And then once we, once we understood that and everybody was now on the same page, it got a lot easier because when we turned left, we turned left. When we turn right, we turn right. The other technique that we used was we put the room in segments. So we had... You know, showmen, you have front center, you have front right, front left, and then back center, back right, back left. So given direction as to where to turn, in their room was laid out the exact same way, wherever they were. So when we turned front left or back right, they were also going in the same direction. We didn't get a lot of this looking over the shoulder to see, okay, now which way is that? Because we laid out the room you know, in, in uh, like a graph. So that kind of helps a lot. You're so smart, Sensei Copeland. What a smart, what that a was, smart man. That was out of need and desperation. It had nothing to do with being smart. You'll figure out a way. If you need to survive, you will figure out a way. <laughs> this is Reno. What, uh, how do you answer uh, Sensei Holland's question? I yelled at the students more. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, seriously, um, uh, 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 with judo, what we did was we really broke stuff down. Uh, so, you know, in, in real-time judo, you grab somebody. I, my, my teaching philosophy in judo is that it's their experience, not mine. So I try to say the least possible stuff in live training to get them to doing the techniques and let them experience it and work through it. That's just my philosophy about judo training. But on Zoom, I didn't do it that way. I said, put your right foot here. Bend the knee, you know, 10%, turn here and work through it. And that's, that's one reason why I think the judo classes were very small during the pandemic, but it's also a reason why the few people that did stay with me through the pandemic really made amazing progress. They came out of the pandemic substantially better because they were able to dig into those techniques and get a, a you know, real detailed understanding of them.
and they got to do that for like three to six months. So uh, it takes a special kind of person to hang in like that. But the ones that did really made a lot of uh, they, they had a they had a new schema that they could apply when we got back to real judo, live judo. Hmm. So so for me, Dan, there were two things. One thing that since the Copeland was talking about, it kind of jarred my memory was at first, you know, you're teaching these katas and people are all like. If allegedly I had people in the dojo with me, like for instance, my family, who my family all trains. So that's beneficial, right? All my family could come in here and we could be training together, which that actually helped me a lot as an instructor, just to have like other people in the room with me, like my daughter or with me, because that keeps your energy high. Another thing is we shrunk the times of the classes because going for an hour and a half and an hour and 45 minutes on this stuff, people just start to burn out and die, right? They just can't do it. So we did that. That too. was something that, that Adette, Adette coached me on that right away um, from Driftwood. She said, like, you need to cut your classes back, Randy. You're going to die and they're going to die too. So because she's super smart, I listened to her and I cut my class times down. <laughs> but for teaching Kata, the one thing Sensei Copeland, as I was teaching it and I'm like, I'm going to turn my back on the camera. When I, when I teach Kata in the class, I go to the front of them and I demonstrate it. And they're usually looking at my back and then I turn around and look at them. And then I turn my back to them and then I turn around and look at them. And I just started doing that. And the students were all like, that's way better sensei because of the right left thing. They found it much easier to follow that way. Um, now here's another thing I did, Dan. I forgot that I did this, but uh, I did have periodically classes for families who are together, like, you know, brothers and sisters and people where I would actually try and do some hands-on stuff with them, some little bunkai things and, you know, be safe. But I was always leery of it because I was afraid that I was going to hear a snap. And then mom was going to come screeching into the room. Right. But we did do some partner stuff where we could um, with people who had another martial artist. And then it was kind of nice because some kids actually said, I want to come. Can my dad come and help me? And I'm like, your dad can come and help you. You're going to be slamming your dad today. Right. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's my answer. Sensei, do so you got any thoughts on any of that? Actually, um, I do have a couple of things, you know, uh, just basically one thing. It's keep things basic. Uh, make things simple. Do the simple things because your senses are limited, right? When you're in a room with the sensei, you get the feeling from him. You get to see the way the body moves. Um, you get all your senses are at work at once, which creates, again, while they're all working together, maybe that extra sense of just, you know. So uh, that's what I did, is I kept things very simple. And... Uh, allowed for all your senses to be limited. That's all, you all gave really, really good answers. And that's the only thing that I could come up with. Be very basic, because you can't pick it up on the screen. I and I'm, I'm happy we're not teaching on Zoom anymore. <laughs> no, okay. I'm happy we're back in the dojos, personally. Um, okay.
Sitsa Copeland or Sitsa Holland, any parting thoughts before uh, Robert turns your cameras off? And no, it was great chatting. Thanks for thanks for talking about that. Yeah, it was yeah. it was also wonderful wonderful time, obviously. And and I do and since I was called out, uh, this crucible is too late, and I don't want any special uh, space provided. I want to keep that in mind for the next crucible date, so that I can schedule it on my calendar. And um, uh, Randy, I hope I see you on Sunday on the way back. Yeah. Sunday, right? On the way back. I'm definitely going to be messaging you, Sensei, on the way back through Windsor. And Fantastic. If you have time for a coffee or something, I or just a quick... No, I have squeeze. time. Okay. I have time. You might have to do it. You may have to do a, a window coffee. Randy may not be able to get out of his driver's seat. <laughs> that would be good. I will take care of him. I'll carry him. That's okay. <laughs> Wonderful. He's okay. Take care, guys. Love to awesome. see you. See Thank you. you. Legacy. Be good. You look awesome. Thank you. Hey, brother. I don't see any questions coming in right now because uh, the people on this call seem to be slackers. We could just get Robert to start turning people's cameras on if we wanted to have a really randomly. Funny show. Well, I could, uh, <laughs> I could suggest something that um, is not really a question that comes up, but you know, when you're a martial artist, you're practicing to be your best self. How many of us practice to be perfect? Like that may not that may not sound like a valuable question. But um, to put everything in reach for everyone, perfection doesn't work. Nobody should ever write, reach to try to be perfect. And I'll put it in this way. If you have two baseball players, one is a pitcher who can only throw strikes. And then there's a batter who can only hit home runs. The pitcher throws the ball. What's going to happen? We live in imperfections. We live in taking advantage of the other person's imperfections. We live on recognizing what you can do by their mistakes. So really, it's recognizing, in my opinion, when I'm fighting, I'm recognizing the imperfections of everyone. And that's how life works. When we were perfect, we never had a body. We never had senses. And then when we pass again, I don't know if we go into another life or not, but if we return to our pure energy form, then only then will we be perfect. So I think that when you train in martial arts, you try to train yourself to the point where you are as best as you can be, but understanding that you will never reach perfection. Therefore, there's always a goal in life. And martial arts is, is part of always trying to attain your best self as opposed to being perfect. So what, what can you tell me on your thoughts on that? Do you want to go, Sensino? Do you want me to go? I do definitely have some thoughts on that, but. Why don't you why don't you go first? I, I'm I'm still processing it. It's funny, Sensei, when you're saying that, I'm like, well, whose definition of perfection is it? 
is it my own definition of what perfection is? Is it my senses definition of what perfection is? And then there's some things that it's like, well, one plus one, if somebody puts two down, they got the perfect answer. Like, that's it. That's perfection. One plus one, they got two. They did it perfectly. Some things when it's, uh, it's subjective or a matter of opinion, I don't know. Like, I mean, an example I would give since legacy is when I drive my motorcycle, I'm never half-hearted or random about it. Every time I, I brake or clutch or I'm trying to do it as perfectly as I possibly can. Like that's the way I approach that particular thing. When I go into marksmanship, like perfection for me is about like how I pick it up. Am I safe? Where am I pointing it? Like, and while I'm never hitting it, I'm always thinking about trying to do it at the highest possible perfect level that I can. And then the other thought I have is, I think Sensei, when you and I have fought, I have experienced perfect techniques from you. Like, that's my opinion. They were perfect. The technique was perfect. It was a perfect technique. The moment, the time, the mechanics, the delivery, it was perfect. I'm not sure you could have ever gotten it better. Um, I've seen Sensei Suino do a cut before that, in my opinion, was perfect, like jaw dropping, watching him do it. And that's my opinion. That's perfect for me. Some Somebody else, Yamaguchi Sensei might have watched it and went, eh, I, I don't know. For me, it was perfect. For Yamaguchi Sensei, it might not have been. Um, but I do think we should be striving to try and be, I don't know, like the higher self or the, I, I hope I never become satisfied with how good I do a roundhouse kick. I hope I never become not totally satisfied with how good I can do junto sono each. I hope I'm always striving to do it. While I might be happy with how I did it, I hope I'm always striving to do it better and find something better to push me um, towards perfection. The well, word the, perfection. You're, you're sort of saying what I said though, because if you were perfect when you fought me, you would have scored on me every time at you will. It's 100%. So there's no room left for striving. It's like you saying, you found that I did that perfect technique one time, but did you do it 100% of the time, all the time? So uh, I think we agree on the same thing. And they all, always want to reach the, for your goal, but you you're always going to try to be your best self. You're not always going to be your best self all the time. And that is, I think, a little bit too much, in my opinion, for, for human beings. If you get- I think that's, that sounds right, Sensei. I don't disagree with what you're saying in any way. Yeah, I was just trying to build on it. Yeah. yeah. Sensei Sino, what thoughts come to mind for you? Well, my first thought is we could do a whole show on this. Um, <laughs> uh, second, second thought. So talking about the difference between your best self and perfection, um, as you were, as you guys were talking about it, I started to think about it from a different perspective and that's from a teacher's perspective. So, um, you know, I'm always trying to get better, but sometimes the place that I see most clearly is when I'm teaching somebody else 
um, when I, you know, if someone's doing EIDO, I can always find something to help them with, right? There's always something that needs to be made better. Um, and I'm really blessed to be at the point in grappling where if I'm in a good state of mind and relaxed, I'm not thinking about my technique. I'm grappling with somebody. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing at all. I'm just trying to be a vessel and experience it. And there's always, almost always something to do, right? There's almost always a position to get or a, or a submission to get if I'm in that state of mind. So they may have brief moments, just like Hanji Legacy's perfect technique, right? At that microsecond, right? Um, somebody might have a, a brief moment of effectiveness or really put together almost complete technique, perfection for a microsecond. But when I'm a vessel, when I'm a teaching vessel and I'm just there perceiving and trying to help them, there's always something to help them with, right? Um, and I'm pretty sure if they flip the mirror and that, you know, somebody like Yamaguchi Sensei is looking at me, uh, uh, it's the same thing. There's probably always something, except for maybe a few microseconds, there's always something he could find to help me with. So it's in our nature. It's in our nature to strive for perfection, knowing that you will never be there. And it's a little bit like living life. We are basically living out eternity. And if we're living out eternity, you're never really going to get there. Yeah. If you're living out eternity, you never get there. You're living it out. <laughs> My head hurts right now. Um, <laughs> um, and and it's different for everybody, right? Hunchy, because your skeleton, right, and your muscles aren't like mine, right? And 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 everybody's different. So perfection isn't the same. I mean, there's kind of these models or templates we're trying to get to, but but you're always going to look different as a karate guy, right? Randy may look a lot like you, but he's never going to look exactly like you. And then somebody, you know, somebody built a different way. So perfection has, has different shapes, doesn't it? I don't I think I've it does. never seen it. I've never personally I've never seen perfection. And it's like you said, Yamaguchi sensei looks at you, he will always have that. There's always something. And I think that's uh, that's what keeps human endeavor, that's what keeps you striving. If you ever reach that again, if you and I Say you and I were perfect swordsmen and we face each other in a kame. And if we're both going to be perfect, what's going to happen? Well, so that brings to mind the famous story, right? The karate master story, right? I, I wonder if you can attain perfection, like in the sense of the force, right? Like in Star Wars, you know, if 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 you can attain that and physical perfection at the same time, or if you have to exceed physical perfection and get to the point where someone tries to approach you. Right. And they they walk up to you and the force that emanates from you is so great that they can't start their attack. We know that story. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, that th that's a different kind of perfection. Right. It's no longer, oh, you've got your your elbow exactly one fist from your body and your knuckles on the you know same height as your shoulder uh, or your timing is perfect. Now it's this. Something else. Right. This force that, that emanates from you. And maybe that comes from all that hard work in the other places. I don't know. That's, I, I've, I, since Legacy and I have experienced that. And I was on, it just was one of those mornings where we were fighting. And at some point in the fight, this wasn't, 
in the first year. This is after we had been doing this for about 15 years. And I just can remember resolving myself and sensitivity stepping in. And we stood there for like maybe three seconds. And then all of a sudden, sensitivity moved away. He'll remember this. I know. And he just shook I, his I head. Remember. And he, I remember. Yeah. He said, There was no way in, Randy. There was no way I could get in on you. I couldn't find a way in. But as soon as he moved, then it was gone. Right. Like then all of a sudden he started pounding on me again because then I moved my feet and my, and my mind changed. And then, but for that brief moment, there was that force and that eminence. And I don't know, I've experienced that actually on the sidewalk. And I know sense of legacy has as well, where I had a kid jump out of his truck last summer and start like walking towards me. And I just stood there and looked at him and, you know, he started swearing and yelling at me and I didn't say anything. I just kept staring at him and I could see it like as he was yelling at me and looking at me and assessing me. He just all of a sudden stopped and I just looked at him. The only thing I said to him was, look, you and I both know nothing's going to happen here. So she get in your truck and drive away. He just turned around and got in his truck and drove away. Like, <laughs> he knew, right? I know a sense of legacy's had that happen to him as well. <laughs> Well, I think that, there's a story once said to Legacy about a guy with a snow scraper and an ice fishing rod. My mind, the best story ever. My, my mind is remembering. <laughs> Sorry, Setsuno, what were you going to say? No, you know, that form you always refer to when we're talking, right? You saw me do a form that was, was you know, you describe it as amazing. And I, it wasn't anything about physical technique for me, right? I just very, I was in the right frame of mind and very consciously put myself in the, that, that state of mind and did the form there, right? That's why I say this could, this whole show could, could, we could do a whole show on this because getting there is no longer about thinking, you know, I got to bend my knee and I got to move at such and such a timing or anything else like that. It's, it's a, it's about having a vast body of experience and knowing what it feels like to, to be completely in the moment and then just doing it body mind and spirit in the yeah but it's a great it's a it's a rare thing right you can't I, I can't i can't reproduce it you know repeatedly on on demand yeah listen the thing that keeps resonating in my brain as we're talking about this and i know we're getting long in the show here but since you know permissions you brought up this this concept of joy and pleasure the joy and the pleasure, right? And if you live your life only seeking moments of pleasure, you're probably not living a joyful life. And it's in my brain that has changed so many, it even changed the way that I fight, like with people where it's like, fighting is joyful no matter what. Like, even if you're losing the fight, fight is the fighting is still joyful. And the moments of pleasure in the fight are that like, okay, I got this great kick. Okay, I got an arm bar here. Okay, I got a, but I mean, largely you rolled around and moved around and accepted things and did things and you should just be joyful uh, for that. And that's what this, this concept of perfection is bringing into my mind is the joy and the pleasure. And perfection is not like always, it's, it's fleeting and maybe never happens. Um, 
even though we're always striving for it, just like we're always striving for pleasure, but you can't give up the joy. You can't give up the work. You can't give up the things to get you to those places. That's in my mind. One of the things I'm thinking about. I love this conversation. Yeah. And now it's 9.59. I guess we got to wrap this up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess we'll go around the horn. And uh, as we go around the horn, because Stefan's been on the call, uh, we're going to start with Stefan and hear what he thinks about being on Punch Kick Choke Chat from the beginning all the way to the end. What are you thinking, Stefan? It's great. It was a pleasure. I loved listening to you guys. Uh, I'm so sad I don't get to join in more often, even as an audience member, because this is normally work hours for me here. But uh, it's a great pleasure to be able to be here, and of course, a, a privilege to be here with Hanji Legacy. And uh, really nice to talk to you guys. Thanks, man, for being on the camera. You're a super martial artist and a really good person, and um, it was really nice to see you tonight there. And uh, since Legacy and I had a nice little chat about you the other day, and um, you're doing great things out there. I know Sensei McLaren thinks really high of you too. So thank you for all the stuff you're doing for uh, karate and legacy Shriner out there in British Columbia. Thank you. Privilege and pleasure. Sensei Legacy, what are your thoughts on tonight's show? Um, I liked it. You know, it's our, it's our, uh, me sitting in the back seat listening to you guys. <laughs> uh, like, I'm a student just like you and but I want to say you guys being with you guys because of the type of people that you are you make me a better self and I appreciate that there is no rank amongst martial artists really a rank serves a different purpose ranks ranks serves order but when you have three human beings who love martial arts four human beings pardon me who love martial arts um, the conversation always elevates itself to its highest quality and everyone learns especially the greatest teacher whoever he is thanks says the Sweeno, what 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 do you think about tonight's uh chat well i loved it and you know i'm just a a, a huge fan of the conversations about about the sublime and esoteric stuff um and you know we had it, we got into that a little bit when I was up there in May, uh, in, in your house with Hunchy Legacy, and uh, and then uh, recently around the Sweeno Fire Pit, uh, we got back into that stuff. And so I love the fact that we went from the sublime to the ridiculous. We started this conversation talking about money, and we ended up talking about existential perfection, and uh, whether it's possible to 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 live in that moment and flame out completely. Right, last that last moment of brilliance. Uh, fuck, man! I I could do this all day. I'm we're we're gonna be doing this for years, and uh, it just keeps getting better. Yeah, I I really enjoyed this uh, conversation. I'm really grateful for the people who keep signing in. Uh, super super grateful to Dan and uh, Sensei Copeland for logging on and joining us to chat for a little bit. And the thought that I have is. It's awesome to have a community like this. People who don't have a community like this, like go find it. If you don't have a community like this in your life, people that there's some passion that bonds you all together and then you get to learn things about these people, um, which is I think what Sense of Legacy was saying. 
with his thoughts, right? This group elevates everybody. Like we all elevate each other. Um, it's just so cool. Like, and I'll share like the last time I was at JMAC, I was very deliberate with Dan and Nick Miller to say, look, I've known you guys now for like 25 years and we've been doing this shit together for like 25 years. And I'm super grateful to you guys for being my friends and, and doing this. And I'm super grateful to this community of people. Um, and I, I think if we all stick together, there's nothing we're not gonna be able to do and there's no obstacle we're not gonna be able to overcome. Um, we're gonna get shit done. So, I also want to end by thanking Alden and Victoria and Robert and Andre and Justin. They send out all like these posts and they push it around and they do all of this grunt work and all of this research and, and push things around and really grateful to all of those people. They are part of this community as well. They're a huge part of this community, um, largely unrecognized, but I'm very grateful to them. Um, and I wanna say, we're gonna take a little bit of a break now, but when we come back, one of the guests that we have coming on is Carlos Newton, uh, who UFC welterweight champion, the first UFC welterweight champion. He's our first UFC champion we're having on Punch Kick Choke Chat. So that's gonna be very fun and exciting. And then, uh, I don't know, Sensuno, if you wanna talk about uh, our conversation with Angel Sensei a little bit. Um, I know we don't have the date locked down for him yet, but just talk about who he is and why we want to talk to him. 100%. So there's a martial arts magazine called Bugeisha, and it's uh, it focuses primarily on the more traditional Okinawa and Japanese martial arts. Uh, and um, it's very well respected. It's a very scholarly publication. And um, Angel's a lifetime martial artist and a guy that's just passionate about helping to share that information and giving people a platform. So we don't have a date yet. We got to finalize a few things, but we'll pull that together. I suspect it'll be in September, um, but we'll get a we'll get a conversation with him, and I think it'll be interesting because it's a new it's kind of a new point of view. We haven't had somebody like that on before. Uh, he's soft spoken, but uh, uh, has a lot to contribute to to our conversation. Yeah, so we're gonna keep this rolling. We're gonna keep doing it. Anybody who's watching, if you think there's a guest that you think would be good for us. Hit us up, send one of us a message and say, you need to have this person on and then we'll consider it. Unless it comes from Sensei Copeland and then we'll just do it. If he, yeah. if he sends a name in, we'll just do it. But uh, <clears throat> have a great, great night, everybody. And thanks so much for uh, signing in. Keep training. As Sensei Legacy would say, make karate better. Go out and make karate better. Or judo or iaido or whatever your chosen art is. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. Rest in peace, Steve. Doug, keep in touch.